Welcome to MH Business Exchange. I'm your host, Mike Witzke, and with me today is Rick Kessler, a partner in our Chicago office. Welcome, Rick. Mike, how are you doing? I am well, given everything. These indeed are some unique times, um, and <laughs> uh, certainly unique times relative to um, how employment issues arise with COVID layoffs and um, restrictive covenants. And, and that leads us into our topic today, Rick, which is post-employment restrictive covenants, uh, and I guess more specifically, how the words that are included in those agreements really do matter. So can you explain, I guess, what is a post-employment restrictive covenant? Terrific question. A post-employment restrictive covenant is a limitation on a former employee's ability to go out and compete with his or her former employer. And it typically has a geographic and a temporal um, limitation. So, for example, it, geographic might be um, if the business is, is nationwide, anywhere within the United States, or if it's state-specific or region-specific, it would be limited to that. And temporal means time restrictions. It could be anywhere from six months to 24 months are, are typical um, temporal restrictions. And so what would typically trigger this agreement uh, coming into force? A any termination of employment? You know, anytime the employee leaves employment, does this automatically kick in? Well, it's very fact-specific and dependent upon how the language reads. But at a high level, in general, yes. When an employee leaves employment, a post-restrictive covenant will uh, be triggered. The key for examination, however, is what is the language of the triggering event for the imposition of the post-employment covenant? And so, Rick, I mean, theoretically, could an agreement be drafted where it only, this, this post-employment restrictive covenant only applies, for instance, if the person was terminated for cause? And if they, if they leave amicably, then it, it does not trigger? Well, again, it's very fact-specific, fact and it could be drafted in such a way, but where there are potential complications in the language of a post-employment covenant trigger event um, evolves around some sloppy drafting. When you have a trigger event for a post-employment restrictive covenant, the verbiage of the triggering event and the consistency of that verbiage for the triggering event is paramount to whether there must be cause or no cause for the imposition of the covenant. So, for example, I've seen employment agreements that have a triggering event for the enforceability of a post-employment restrictive covenant have in the same agreement language such as for any reason or no reason, for cause, without any reason, and for any reason. And why that is important um, is as follows. If the triggering event says for any reason or no reason, then if the employee leaves, the triggering event is the termination of the employment. And it can be for cause or for no cause. If the trigger event 
for the restrictive covenant is for any reason, and you have verbiage in the agreement for any reason or no reason, that's where the complications come into play. So, Rick, when we talk about triggering the covenant, you know, can you explain maybe an example of why the language used in the agreement uh, needs to be consistent and that it needs to be drafted very carefully to make these agreements enforceable? Yeah, that's the key, Mike. So if the triggering event for the restrictive covenant says if the employee's employment is terminated for any reason, then the temporal and geographic restrictions come into place and the employee can't compete. Now, at first blush, you might say, hey, if the, you know, for any reason means for any reason. However, if there is language in the employment agreement that addresses termination of employment or if the employment or if the employee leaves and it is not consistent for example says if there's paragraphs in the agreement that says for any reason or no reason then it draws into question whether there must be a reason in the example i just gave for the employee's departure of employment before that triggering event on the restrictive covenant would come into play. So, so Rick, let me, let me make sure I'm clear on this. So if in one part of the agreement it says, you know, termination is for any reason or no reason, but then when we get to the actual clause that deals with when this covenant is actually enforced, it only says for any reason, the lack of or no reason actually now requires that there be a reason for the termination before the restrictive covenant can be enforced? And you hit the nail right on the head. That's exactly right. Courts have interpreted that (laughs) um, when you have, uh, first of all, courts generally disfavor restraints on pre-competition. That's just the overriding uh, basis of many court opinions because we live in a capitalistic society and the general feeling amongst the courts is that, hey, if there's going to be a restriction, we're going to carefully scrutinize any agreement that purports to limit someone's ability to freely pursue uh, employment opportunities. I mean, these are, these are almost always going to be drafted by the employer, correct? That's correct. And, and so if there's ambiguity in the agreement, who is the court going to construe that ambiguity against? Well, the court will uh, typically construe that ambiguity against the employer. It just all boils down to sloppy drafting and careful analysis by uh, counsel to see whether or not there are avenues for um, rejecting the enforceability of the non-compete. And that's where McDonald Hopkins has great expertise and a, a depth of knowledge on review of employment agreements. Again, at first blush, you look at an employment agreement that has a triggering event that says for any reason, yet on a deeper dive, you see, well, in other aspects of this agreement, there was any reason or no reason. And you see that there's a uh, difference in the verbiage. And the drafter must have had some reason for including that differentiation between for any reason or no reason in any reason. Well, I mean, it certainly shows how important it is 
to have good counsel in the drafting of these agreements if you want them to be enforceable. And obviously, you wouldn't go to the effort of setting one up if you didn't want it to be enforceable when needed. So, Rick, any, any last thoughts? Yes. As the drafter of an employment agreement, which you want to restrict a former employee's from unfairly competing with you, choose your words carefully. It's so easy to cut and paste from one agreement to the other, and you just might be compounding prior errors. Well, Ray, thanks again for being here today. Um, I want to thank all of our listeners and encourage them to go to our website, mcdonaldhopkins.com, where you'll find more information on restrictive covenants as well as the other areas of law that we practice. Um, again, Rick, thanks. Thank you, Mike. Great to speak with you. And everybody. Have a great day.